Welcome again to Absolute Destiny, a podcast. I'm Autumn. And I'm Chesney. And if you're first tuning in now, this is a show where we watch the 1997 anime Revolutionary Girl Utena all the way through. Uh, the hitch here is I am a super fan. I have been, I've seen this show at least, this is probably my 10th viewing of this show. Um, Chesney is seeing this for the very first time. So if you want to be watching along with us, if this is your first time, you can go back to episode one. We post a link to each episode's YouTube in the description of the podcast. Uh, if you're listening on iTunes, um, some of the links don't always go through on iTunes just because of the way the description box works. So if you just Google uh, Utana episode whatever number, you should be able to get the Nozomi Entertainment YouTube channel and pull up the episode. We are going off of the subtitled version as opposed to the dub. So if there's any differences in localization in like what we're talking about, or if you're watching the, the dubbed version, it might come down to that. Uh, today, we are on episode 11, uh, Gracefully Cruel, the one who picks the flower. Wow. I didn't even realize the title. <laughs> I was so distracted that I missed the title. It's an intense episode. Yeah. It's definitely an apt description. So the episode opens. We are with Utina and Wakaba having lunch outside. Um, Wakaba has made lunch. She has prepared a, an adorable little bento for the two of them. And she declares that she is showing her love for Utina. <laughs> <laughs> Complete with them, like, rolling around on the ground. And yeah. <laughs> at one point she blows a heart and the heart floats by Utana's face and Utana's eye tracks the heart as it's floating by. I absolutely loved or I absolutely love when shows do like the mixed diegesis of stuff like that where like clearly <laughs> this is a magical thing that is happening. It is not real, but she's treating it as real as it is for us as the audience to see like this image that is meant to show us what the feeling is. And here she is seeing it in the scene itself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I love that we got um, some levity with Wakaba starting off the episode because we definitely needed it after the last one. And it's a good break in between the last episode and then the rest of the content of this episode. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do want to pause and, and just talk about this scene with Wakaba for a moment. Um, I feel like this is one of those scenes where the Utana Wakaba shippers out there grab onto this scene and hold on with both hands. <laughs> <laughs> At the same time, I stand by my initial statement that of all the characters on this show, Wakaba is the straightest one. <laughs> You know, as they have more and more interactions, I'm inclined to agree with you there. <laughs> <laughs> it just it, it all just feels so much like an oblivious straight friend who is using yeah. like these overly attached terms for someone who mm -hmm. is clearly grappling with their bisexual identity. <laughs> yep. Yeah. In fact, I'm like, looking back on it, hasn't every queer person had a friend like this? I know oh, I have. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> like, 
in any other context, your friend is flirting with you. Mm-hmm. But like to them, they're oblivious to it because they actually don't feel that way. Right. Like, it actually isn't romantic for them. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, Wakaba makes this cute lunch. And then, surprise, here comes Anthe. And turns out Anthe has made, like, a lunch that's twice the size. But maybe not as, like, high in quality. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, was the takeaway that I got from that. It was still cute, though. Uh, so she so- shows up. It's this giant first layer of uh, takoyaki. The second one is this giant layer of yakisoba. And then the third one, we don't know what it is because Choo Choo's eaten it all. <laughs> right. <laughs> and like she shows up with a, a stack, like one of those fancy stacked bento boxes that has like the marbling texture to it. Like it's like yes. a fancy bento box. Yep. But inside inside is cafeteria food. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Bless her heart. Not not to say that you can't make takoyaki and yakisoba like high quality. <laughs> yeah. But I don't know. I associate that with cafeteria food because when I studied in Japan, like that's what we had there. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> um, but yeah, like Chushu then like while they're talking about all of this and like complimenting one another on their food, uh, Chuchu eats it all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he eats all of Anthe's. Oh. So we cut to this moment of uh, Nikki catching Toga spying on the three of them. And totally like, like not creepy at all, by the way. Like, hey, buddy, what you doing? <laughs> <laughs> I see you got your opera glasses again. <laughs> right. Maybe looking at something. Someone putting on a show for you. <laughs> God. Well, and Toka kind of acts surprised too, which surprises me. I I don't know. The way that he was like, oh, it's you. I'm like, who else would this have been? Who were you expecting? Well, he's expecting his ex-boyfriend, Sionji, but we know that he's ah. been expelled. And so now he has to settle for the other guy on the student council, Mickey. And he's like, <laughs> I suppose you'll do. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, he says he's looking at a lonely princess. And Mickey, uh, like, to his credit, maybe, um initially assumes that he's talking about Anthe because like we all kind of get the idea that Anthe is lonely but yeah. Toga actually corrects him and says no it's something only I can see mm-hmm. which I think is like a dig at Mickey's maturity level yeah in terms of like his understanding that Utena is laughing and all of this but she's still looking for something she hasn't found she's the one who's yearning and that's what he's looking at mm-hmm. yeah mickey asked too like are you talking about an illusion and toga's like no it's something that only i feel when i look at her yeah and like this is one of those moments where 
if there wasn't like such baggage around everything that's going on with the student council and the dueling game and the Rose Bride, you could almost see a moment like this as being a really endearing thing about Toga. Like if this was an exchange that took place in a different show in a different context. Yeah, this is absolutely like the romantic setup. Right. Of like, oh, there's this guy who who sees something in this girl that everyone else is content to just see like her facade, like the the bravado and all the rest of it. And he sees what's within. And you yeah. think like that would be like a really romantic thing in this show, in this context. Super fucking creepy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's also like he's hiding out in the bushes, though, too. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, like there's that. <laughs> Maybe one thing if it's like, you know, they're all like out on a at lawn or courtyard or something of the school and he just like glances over and looks at her. Dude is peeping straight up with <laughs> opera glasses from the bushes. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I feel like on some level I've like started to let that slide below my radar a bit because <laughs> that was our introduction to his character was him snooping on the duels with those hover glasses in the first episode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but no, you're right in that in any other show, yeah, it's totally like a uh, a romantic move. Like, oh, I see the real you type thing. Yeah. Uh, but the thing is toga is purposefully causing this within utena oh yeah like, and we've known sure. all along that he has been a, a a manipulator yeah and like his, his criticism of his sister isn't that she's manipulating people it's that she's being obvious about it yep you know and so in at least half of the prior episodes, Toga has had a moment of tipping his hand that he is playing her in some way. Yeah. And we know that he's talking to the end of the world. Mm-hmm. Which I almost wonder, you know, that moment where he's like, oh, oh, it's just you. I'm like, were you expecting whoever this end of the world person is, was to show up instead? Because I don't think he would expect Sionji at this point. Oh, yeah, no. I, I was just joking about like him oh. missing his boyfriend. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I'm like, I just, I wonder if, it seemed more like, oh, are you waiting on like your informant or whatever? Um, but yeah, it's still, to me, I'm like, it's just creepy to watch three women just having a perfectly good time eating lunch and you're just creepily watching from the bushes. Like if this took place in modern times, he would be like recording their entire lunch on his iPhone. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that far away. But Toga walks up and because of all the little seeds of manipulation that he's planted in Utena's mind and the things that he's said to her that are still things that she's thinking about, he walks up, he chooses whatever moment he wants to walk up to them having lunch and this like <laughs> plethora of fawning girls suddenly spawn yeah. in behind him 
I don't know where they came from. They were also hiding in the bushes, I guess. But um, <laughs> they also pop in and Utena just sees, we, we as the audience see those white spinning roses in all corners of the frame. Uh, and that's what Utena sees. She's like, oh, it's the princely vision. And like, he's backlit by like this white ghostly light. And uh, then he has all these women fawning all over him and he we can't hear anything that they're saying. And it's just because like she's Utena is so taken aback by this moment. It feels like such confirmation to her, but it's just confirmation bias because she's been manipulated. Yeah. But also I I think this is really an interesting choice on the part of the show. Like when he walks up to her, we don't get like, any of the songs that you would expect like you don't get lyric of the campus you don't get um you you don't get the the subtitle song that will would play sometimes you don't get um any of the other options you get that god's name is abraxas the student council like mantra theme like that dirge song (laughs) see i didn't even realize that When he is walking up, it is the student council theme that is playing. That is really interesting. Like, it is signifying something much darker here is at play than romantic. Yeah. But at the same time, he also gets, like, the white princely rose border. Mm-hmm. And all I focused on was the fact that, like, he was talking and the the girls around him were talking, but there was no sound. There were no like words that Utena could hear because she's just so blown away by the moment. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't even paying attention to the music. <laughs> well, she's, she's now starting to think of him as her prince, right? Like that's what that rose, right. the, the white rose border means as opposed to um, like his traditional red color that Toga would right. ordinarily have. Yeah. I was just blown away in the same way that Utena was apparently <laughs> to where I didn't even hear anything. <laughs> so um, the God's name is Abraxas is playing very quietly during that scene, mm. but then it goes to full volume as a transition to the student council meeting where they do the elevator ride and the mantra and What I think is really interesting about this episode is that over the course of the series so far, we have gotten like a few truncated moments of these ritual scenes where they'll play enough of it that we get the hint of what they're going to do. Um, Sometimes they like they cut short the ascension to the duel or like the ride up the elevator, that kind of thing. In this episode, they savor each and every one of these moments in a, I feel like a very intentional way and not like a filling time kind of way. Mm -hmm. They're giving these moments their full weight once again of the ascension of the elevator and a fairly lengthy student council meeting. Um, And then I'm just going to point it out now, but like later on when we have the duel, the entire climb up the up the tower, um, they, they go through the whole the whole motion again. Yeah. Giving this particular duel much more weight than some of the prior ones. 
Mm-hmm. Especially like the Nanami one. Yeah. Because um, we're all building up to, you know, the, this kind of like final confrontation or what we believe will be a final confrontation with Toga, the president of the student council. Like all these duels were leading up to this boss battle. <laughs> yeah. But as far as the student council meeting itself goes, um, this one's theme is balloons. Which, okay. And why? (laughs) (laughs) Well, (laughs) before we get to the why, I do want to just point out, like, the the balloons are in all of the student council colors, including Sionji, who is not present. Yeah, I noticed that too. I was like, okay, I get the colors, but why are they here? It's almost like celebrating, I guess. In a weird way, Toga is celebrating. So the student council has this conversation about the Nanami duel. Where Mickey makes like this really interesting point that in calling out Toga that... Nanami was set up to lose. Mm-hmm. And that this was all a ploy uh, by Toga. Yeah, and Jury points that out, too. They're both calling him out on it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and Mickey makes the most biting comment. I loved this line where he compares the way... Uh, Toga is treating his sister to a pet cat. Yeah. Which we know how Nanami has treated a pet cat in the past. (laughs) (laughs) The shade, my friends. (laughs) (laughs) Legendary. (laughs) Well, and then... um... Toga turns around and says, you know, even if somebody does lay a plot, it's the victim's fault for falling into it, which just tells you everything that you need to know about his character. And I feel so bad for Utena in this moment because, like, she has no idea what his character is actually like. She's just being sold this, like, fake prince persona, and that's not who he is at all. Right. Like to see the depth of how cold and calculating he is being in all of this is kind of shocking, really. Like you don't expect a person to be capable of that level of callousness um, in this kind of manipulation. Yeah. And he even goes further to say, If someone has deep feelings for a person, it's only a matter of time before those feelings betray them. And they'll betray them just as strongly or as much as those feelings are. So in in essence, the stronger you feel for someone, the more the betrayal is going to hurt. Right. And this either shocks or resonates with Mickey. I'm not quite sure which one it is, but Mickey just gasps. And, uh, then that's pretty much it with the student council. <laughs> I, I, mean, I can only imagine what that room was like when uh, when Toga left. Jury and Mickey are just standing there like, 
what the fuck do we do with this? <laughs> I mean, I come down on the side of Mickey being shocked because that is a shocking thing to just lay out there like that. Normal people don't manipulate people that intentionally, right? Like everyone manipulates people all the time, but usually not like in malicious ways. Like it's usually like a subconscious thing just to like get what you want one way or another. Like say somebody like talking to their parent knows that they would talk to their parent in a different way than they would talk to their boss to get what they want out of the conversation. Mm -hmm. But to have someone go into an interaction with someone with this like meticulous cold calculation of exactly how he is going to play this like chess game with Utena in order to lie to her at every stage of this and make her fall in love with him on the pretense that he is the prince which we technically haven't like been disproven <laughs> maybe her maybe her prince is just an absolute bastard <laughs> <laughs> yeah we don't know <laughs> um yeah like maybe this was like the six or eight year long game since that moment in the uh in the graveyard yeah <laughs> But, like, normal people don't go into, like, their manipulations like this so consciously, right? Like, it's always more of an unconscious shifting of, like, how you carry yourself around other people. Not this, like, methodical plan. Like, this is bullet points on a list for him. Yeah, that's how detached he is from the emotional reality of what he's about to do to this girl. Well, and here's the other aspect of it for me, too. It's <laughs> I feel like the thing that he says here about if you have deep feelings for a person, it's only a matter of time before those feelings betray you. And how them. fucking cynical is that? So I feel like this is some shit you would absolutely see on some dude's Twitter. Or Instagram. <laughs> like you would you would absolutely see this shit on some dude's like Instagram story post breakup. Um so That's I'm his like Tinder profile. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so I'm like, who on one level I'm like, who hurt you, bro? But on the other Sionji level I'm like by getting expelled. Well, but he did that himself. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like he still manipulated that. So no not even. <laughs> This is like before Sionji. Or yeah. honestly, this is just one is born as a narcissistic manipulator and never alters from that path. It, Toga is absolutely the person who would have that as his Tinder profile. And then during the awful, messy breakup, say, dude, I put that in my Tinder profile. It is your fault for not having believed me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Or be cynical about it in the end and be like, well, of course this is going to happen. Blah, blah, blah. Everybody's just going to betray you. Like, dude, shut up and go somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> go to therapy, Toga. <laughs> right. That's somewhere being therapy. Yes. So 
the the scene ends with the sound of the balloons popping. Yes. Which at first, like, I, because of the way this show has primed me, I was expecting this to be a slap. It is not. It is actually the sound <laughs> of the balloons popping. <laughs> <laughs> but we cut to Utana in a hallway thinking about, like, everything that has just happened. And she sees Toga and Anthe talking in the Rose Garden. And... Yeah, and he kind of leads her to it, right? Like, she's walking down the hallway. I feel like this is also intentional. Like, Oh, for sure. He like, leads <laughs> her into the greenhouse, for sure. And he has a an uncomfortably sweet conversation with Anthe. Like, again, if this was any other character in any other show having this conversation him becoming friends with Utina's friends seems like a totally normal, healthy thing to do. <laughs> In this case, it's just one more of like one more layer of the trap. But we have this moment in this conversation where and, and this is a moment in the conversation like put a pin in this because it'll be relevant at the end of the episode. We have this moment where Anthe is freely conversing with Toga and talks about how much fun she was having with Wakaba and compliments Wakaba yeah. on her on her cooking. Yeah. And so we're going to get into it later about like the way that the Rose Bride tailors herself to whoever possesses her. But here is a moment that will actually contradict some stuff later on because Utana isn't in this scene during this part of the conversation. This is just Anthe freely talking and sharing this. Yeah. 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 She's like just talking about her day and she like ends it with, I'd like to try making a lunch like Wakaba's, meaning like I'd like to put be able to be at the, like that level and put that much like heart into my cooking. It was so sweet. Yeah. And of course, like this is met with Toga being an absolute shit again, <laughs> where he laughs in her face at her dreams because it was awful. Yeah. <laughs> in, Cause in his mind, her job is just to tend to the roses and stay silent and pretty. Mm -hmm. He even calls the uh, the Rose Garden a birdcage, which it has always looked like one. Yeah. Right? Like that visual motif has been there from the start. And now he is explicitly saying, this is a birdcage. You are the bird and you belong here. Yeah. He explicitly says, I would never let you out. Yeah. That is horrifying <laughs> and so then we have Utana barging in and uh, this is such a fascinating moment because this whole time we as the audience have been led to see all these little moments of Anthe showing agency 
But this moment actually like turns that on its head because Utena starts to say, tell him you hate it. Tell him you hate being the Rose Bride. Tell him you want more friends. And in the way that Utena is, you know, she's using like the imperative tense. Like she's ordering Anthe to say this. Exactly. And that's the problem. She used it as a command instead of instead asking uh, tell him how you really feel. Or even if you were just commanding, tell him how you really feel about being the Rose Bride. That leaves it more open-ended if you wanted to do that tone. But you should still not command knowing the position that she's in. You should ask. Right. And so she gives this command to Anthe to say, tell him you hate it. And so, of course, she parrots that. And you can see like almost like disappointment on Anthe's face that like yeah. suddenly Utna is now treating Anthe like the others as someone mm-hmm. to be commanded. And yeah, so I she mean, slips into the mask and says, yes, I hate it. Yeah. I, it, how she acts in this moment reminds me so much of how she acted with Sionji in the beginning. Right. Right. And this is something that I had said in the first episode that we would get to see eventually that like the way that Utana has been treating Anthe might be better, but isn't substantially different from the others. Because yeah. in order for Utana to be a prince, Anthe has to be the damsel. Right. And so now she is boxing Anthe into the role that she needs her to play so that Utena can be the prince. Mm-hmm. Well, and there is a moment where when Utena is saying, tell him how you feel or whatever, like she's commanding, there's a moment where Anthe falters and she does this at this time and at a later time in the episode. But there's this moment where she falters and she looks like she wants to say how she really feels. Mm -hmm. She just starts with I dot dot dot. And then, like you said, slips back into the mask and into like that protective um, stance, I guess, or protective behavior of herself of this is what I have to do. Yeah. It's very much, um, I wrote down, every time Anthe falters, she looks like she wants to say what she thinks so bad, but it's like a response to being abused that makes right. her go back and retreat and be in her safety bubble. For sure. Like, this is one of those moments where we really see the trauma play out as a trauma response. Mm-hmm. And not just as, um, like, oh, cute broken girl trope, you know? Like, yeah. this is a layer of complexity to, like, how she responds that shows that, like, someone who was involved in the production of this show knew what they were doing and knew what they were writing about. Yeah. 100%. Um, and the implication from Toga, I don't even know if he says this straight out. He might, uh, but he he implies or he says she's your bride right now, 
So she's only going to repeat what you want her to say. Like, how how is this not getting through to you type thing? Yeah. Like, I think he's more explicit on that point later in the episode. And yeah. And, like, in this moment... He just kind of laughs at Utena. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But then, this is where he goes in for the kill. Mm-hmm. And starts comparing himself explicitly to her prince. The scene takes on that like misty, foggy quality to it. Like, like again, the Vaseline on the lens. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and he offers as proof like the feeling that wells up within her when he closes the gap between them and goes in for a kiss. He doesn't actually kiss her, but like gets into that uncomfortably close range where they are like nose to nose. And is like, did it feel like this? And of course it did. Like <laughs> this works on Utena. And he like pretends because, like, this is all a facade for him. He pretends to, like, catch himself in a moment of indiscretion and apologizes. But, like, it's all part of the game. <laughs> it's just another chess move. What's interesting here to me is that he... The excuse that he uses here is that was indiscreet to do that as two duelists in front of the Rose Bride. I'm like, so you're really going to sit here and tell me right in front of my salad that you and Sionji haven't done this before in front of Anthe? <laughs> <laughs> like the two ex-boyfriends that you are? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but no, I mean, it's just weird. But when the camera pans over to Anthe, she still has that like, I don't even know what what emotion to describe I wrote that she looked having hurt. Her face. Yeah. I, <sighs> My interpretation of that moment was that kind of a, a twofold thing, right? That like, one, she is hurt that Utena spoke to her that way. And two, that like it almost looks a little bit jealous that mm. Toga is now getting Utena's attention. Because we know yeah, that the subtext be. of this show is the relationship between Anthe and Utena. Mm -hmm. And we almost never get a proper window into Anthe and her feelings. And so, like, I might be reaching on this one. It, I took jealousy from that moment. Like, a jealous hurt. Mm. The, the best that I could gather was, like, dead inside. It was still that, it was a combination of that mask and some level of like hurt, disappointment, something. Yeah. But like trying really, really hard not to show it. Yeah. And so now that Utena has been completely knocked off balance, Toga's like, oh, by the way, I'm challenging you to a duel. Yeah. So here's the thing. All right. Here's the thing. So Toga just pulls like the craziest fuckboy move I've ever seen in the show. <laughs> he He does this like... Uh, 
I have something to tell you as your prince. And then gets Utena like draws Utena in with that and then goes in to kiss her, but doesn't do it and goes, Oh, sorry, forgive me. That was so indiscreet. Blah, blah, blah. And then it's like, Oh, I'll wait. No. Um, what I really wanted to draw you here for was, uh, an important thing I had to tell you, which is, uh, we're going to fight at 2 PM after school, um, in the duel. So I'll see you there. <laughs> what? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm sorry. What was this roller coaster you just put all of us on? Well, it was entirely to get Utena off balance. Yeah. He, again, he's doing this to get so into her head that he can beat her. Like, that is the end game of all of this is that he wants the Rose Bride and. So long as the power of Dios is on Utena's side, and so long as she has that nobility and that spirit and all of that, she's going to keep winning. And so his first move is to deprive her of that, to rip that confidence away from her. And so he is playing mind games with her to break her spirit rather than try and just beat her in the duel straight up. Toga, I can't believe I ever complimented you on your hair or anything. I hope you have split ends for the rest of your days. You absolute <laughs> maggot of a fuckboy. <laughs> Die in a hole. All right. That's my message. <laughs> uh, one thing that I do... <laughs> one thing that I do have to laugh at here is... <laughs> It cuts to the next scene and Utena goes, I totally forgot he's a duelist. <laughs> yeah. Like, Utena, oh, how did you shit, he's that? a duelist. I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> you fool. You foolish fool. <laughs> You've fallen for the oldest trick in the book. <laughs> oh, and then it's interesting because so the ring that she has is the ring that her prince gave her. But right. in this scene, she goes, the one link I have to the prince forces me to fight him. If only I didn't have this ring. But I'm like, right. but he gave it to you. So shouldn't the fact that Toga's trying to duel you now, like she's just too in her own head and like thrown off by Toga in general to see the truth of the situation like if the person that gave you this ring was actually toga don't you think he would have had a different response to you being in the same school well weirdly enough he is the one person who from episode one recognized that she was looking for her prince right so like that it's so like that piece does hold up um or maybe it was like episode two or something like that. Like a very early episode before Utena has disclosed this to anyone else. He knew that she was there for her prince. My maybe tinfoil hat conspiracy. I don't know how tinfoil hat of a conspiracy it is. But my thoughts are that Obviously, I don't think he's the prince, but taking it a step further in that I think that whatever interaction that he had with Utena and him and Sionji left, I think the actual prince showed up after that. 
but that's just me you mean like in the in the cemetery yes okay yeah in the church with the coffins yeah so like because like sionji says that something happened he wasn't there for it so he believes that toga must have done it so you're saying that it was someone else in that gap of time yeah that visited utena okay mm-hmm. so yeah like she's looking at the ring and she almost looks like she's about to take it off yeah when she when totally An- was yeah when anthe pops in and is like oh tea's ready <laughs> yeah um which is like perfect timing on anthe's part to you know break utana out of that thought cycle before Which she, she seems to she have a knack for. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And she asks her a series of questions, which again are like, I interpret as like trying to get her out of her head a little bit, like get her to talk to her. Um, Like asks if Lieutenant liked her, uh, the bento that she made. And they talk about Wakaba and Anthony's like, yeah, she's fun to be around. Um, And Lieutenant's like, yeah, you should befriend her too. And then Anthony just kind of like looks sadly off and, like sees Choo Choo and Uten is like, oh right, yeah, you know, you have Choo Choo. Uh and then Anthe shocks all of us by saying completely unprompted, I wish I had more friends. And it's yeah. the first time that she shows the sadness that she feels. Right. But it's complicated though, right? Because we also know that this is something that Utena would want to hear from her. Mm-hmm. And like in this episode, we're starting to really see the depth to which that goes in terms of like control of the Rose Bride. So it leaves open that question. Is this a sincere wish of Anthe's? I mean, I personally believe it is, but like, is this a sincere wish of Anthe's or is this just Anthe performing Rose Brideliness <laughs> for <laughs> Utena? Yeah. In a shape and form that Utena would recognize as being desirable. That like Utena wants a Rose Bride who is more independent and more, you know, outgoing and sociable. And so this is just Anthe conforming to that or is it like you know anthe coming out of her shell properly um like one of the things that we know about trauma and trauma treatment is that a key part of recovery from trauma is reconnecting with others in a healthy way in an appropriate way like rejoining the community in a sense. Mm-hmm. And so like whether this was Utana accidentally stumbling upon this or um, or whether this is a sincere wish of Anthe's is a little bit like splitting hairs. But I feel like it does still leave that question open of whether or not this is a sincere uh, desire that Anthe has or whether this is Anthe performing for Utena. Yeah. I mean, I'm also on the side of it feels a little too real. Okay. You know, the 
emotion that she carries with it, that look that she has. And even, you know, when Otena's like, you will, you know, just open your heart and talk to them. Anyone would like you and, and I'll help you do that. You know, the smile still looks pained, which I do. I feel like it is a genuine wish, but I, there is some merit in this can be both things. It can sure. be both a wish of Anthe's and then also like encouraged or egged on by Utena being the person that quote holds the Rose Bride. Yeah. Cause Utena volunteers to help her and says like, if you open your heart and show people who you really are, you can make friends and I'll help you do that. Yeah. And then we have this like internal monologue moment of Utena saying that she will turn her back into a regular girl. And like, yeah. this to me is, I think one of, one of the most revealing statements in this entire season, like this one statement right here, because this as benevolent as the objective is still betrays a level of objectification. This is a goal that Utena has for Anthe. It is not necessarily Anthe's goal for herself. Mm -hmm. Even if like from the outside looking in, we can all look at this and say, yes, that is a healthier way of being than what she is doing right now. It is also not necessarily Anthe's goal. And it's still another goal being imposed from the outside to suit someone else's agenda. Even if that agenda is to help her, it's still an outsider's uh, goal and not hers. And I would also add, Utena saying that reveals a lot more about herself uh -huh. than it does about Anthe. Because it almost... It's almost like a deep wish that she has for herself. Interesting. To be turned back into a regular girl. You know. So you're thinking it's like some projection for, for Utena. Yes. For someone who experienced losing their parents at such a young age. And then had the imprint of the prince on her. There's probably a part of her that would give anything just to be normal, you know, to have her parents back again. But this is the way that she's had to learn to cope with it is adopting this Prince persona. Okay. I, I like that theory a lot, <laughs> actually. <laughs> well, and it goes, I mean, it goes hand in hand with the, preview that we saw but we'll get to that later yeah so now we have but the yeah. shadow girls before we and... get there though oh, there okay. was one thing there's one thing that Utena says uh in addition to the turn Anthe back into a regular girl she says I won't hand her over not even to my prince that's some pretty powerful statements there Utena <laughs> Yeah. Like, where did this strong feeling come from? You can't see it, but I'm wiggling my eyebrows. 
So then we have the Shadow Girls. And I want to revisit your uh, your tinfoil hat from a much earlier episode. Ooh, okay. Um, because I, I, I feel like it, we've been watching enough of episodes so far. I'll just tell you the title of the song that plays for the Shadow Girls is The Inhabitants of Planet Kashira. Okay. <laughs> Interesting. So my aliens theory was correct. <laughs> I was literally sitting here thinking, okay, which one? Aliens or ghosts? Aliens. <laughs> I mean... Nevertheless, they are still the show's Greek chorus. They represent like all the other girls in the school talking about what's going on. Today, the lesson is about William Tell. Except rather than like the traditional narrative of William Tell, what we have is uh, one of them acting as William Tell, one of them acting as his son, and shooting the arrow off the top of the head. And apparently this is the 37,919th time that he has successfully done this. And the kid (laughs) is asking, when are you going to stop? And he says, Mm -hmm. when someone comes along to stop me. And then the kid asks, can't that nobleman let you stop for once? Uh, This is a really interesting exchange. Uh, Partly because, like, it's a little bit tangential compared to the plot of the episode. But I think it speaks more to, like, the plot arc of the season itself. And, like, the repetition of the duels, um, the way that the dueling game continues over and over again. And, like, I'm curious who you think, like, the nobleman being referred to is here, like... Who is it that is controlling whether or not like anyone can stop doing what they're doing? Well, when you put it in this context, uh, in the line of eternal archery machine, William Tell and his son seems like just the duelists in general and the nobleman most likely being the end of the world, because I still maintain tinfoil hat or not that the end of the world is a grown-ass adult manipulating these children uh to do (laughs) whatever the fuck it is that uh they want them to do okay yeah i mean like that that makes that tracks with like the letters that the 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 student council receives and like the phone calls to toga Mm -hmm. um that like whoever is in charge of all of this has been keeping it going. Um, and that like, regardless of who wins, the game continues. Right. Cause like, because there's no, there's no real conclusion. Like, Oh, somebody else won the Rose bride. Okay. <laughs> there's no conclusion to that. It just repeats forever. Yeah, it's a game of musical chairs, but the music never stops. Yeah, exactly. So what does get the music to stop? Finding this screwy-ass adult (laughs) (laughs) and putting them in their place. 
take the fight to the end of the world. Yeah. I could see it. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Or get a pogo stick and uh, see if you can get up to the castle. <laughs> <laughs> or, you know, like, do like Sionji and wait for the castle to come down to you. But I'm... <laughs> and die. <laughs> that doesn't really solve anything either, though. Yeah. Then they'll just recruit more kids. So then we have the duel. Mm-hmm. And like you said, we get the full ritual of the door transformation. Uh, what I am now calling the walk of determination, a.k.a. the <laughs> you are filled with determination like in Undertale <laughs> uh, for Utena. Yeah. Um, interesting that she, this is the first time she ever pauses on the way to a duel. Right. She pauses, she pauses on the steps. And when she sees Anthe is when she pauses. And when she finally starts going again, she also grabs her hand on the way up. Yeah, they take each other's hand at the top of the stairs. Mm-hmm. It's a really romantic moment. Yeah. Um, I, like what I wrote down here is like it's been shown over and over again, but like this is the first, or not the first. It's been shown over and over again, but this is one of the times where we see like the full magical girl henshin sequence play out start mm-hmm. to finish um with the uniform change and the whole mantra um the climb all of it and then we get a close up of toga or specifically toga's katana being drawn and he says, I will take your precious bird from you. Again, calling back to the way that Toga views Anthe, that she was a bird who belongs in a cage. And Utena straight up charges at him. Mm-hmm. Like, full on swinging. And Toga is, like, noticeably calm. Like, he's oh, yeah. so still. Yeah, puppet master at his finest here. Exactly. Um, We get like a shot in silhouette of the two of them trading blows. We have this moment where there's like a a white frame with roses. Not like the the wire border, not the filigree border with the spinning roses, but like a white matte border with uh, like rose petals. Mm-hmm. It's actually a really visually interesting duel. Um, it's one of the longer duels, uh, again, especially compared to the first half of the Nanami duel, like the the actual duel part <laughs> of that one. Yeah, um, yeah. As opposed to just like the slugfest that follows. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and again, we get similar to like the jury battle where he's toying with her and he's standing back and waiting to see if the power of Dios comes down. Um, And it does, but only when Utena feels or has this feeling of, I can't lose. And then the ring responds and glows. Mm -hmm. 
and the power of Dios comes down and possesses her. Yeah, again, it's that nobility, that courage of hers, that determination that summons that power from the castle. And um, before we come to the like the thrilling conclusion of this duel, though, I want to talk for a second about the song. Yeah. Um, this one is called Seal Spell. And the song is about captivity. Yes. Um, I wrote down the, the first line, the yeah. unrecorded spell of captivity, and then something about an iron mask. Yes. Okay. So for those who don't know, um, there is a very famous French prisoner known as the man in the iron mask. And the identity of this person has been a, a mystery for many, many years. Um, this was during the time of Louis XIV, during his lifetime. And like, there's some like really, like really wild theories out there. Like it's Louis's illegitimate father. Um, it's a general that uh, he didn't like, or like that his father didn't like or something like that. Um there's like a member of the English nobility. There's a lot of different theories for who this person was, uh, including like it could have been two different people and just like a recording error made it seem like they were the same person that like someone who was transferred from a different prison to uh, another one was the same person. Um, mm -hmm. But like a very famous historical prisoner that there has been a lot of fiction written about <laughs> a lot more fiction has been written about this, this person than actual fact. Um, just because <laughs> like the way that like historical mysteries just become fodder for this. Right. So they're, they're yeah. referencing the man in the iron mask here. Okay. Um, like, I think I could be wrong. Like I think in like the, Leonardo DiCaprio was in a movie based on this person and I think in that one like he was Louis XIV's older brother okay so like he would have inherited the throne like that kind of thing got um, it again like it's just a, a a cipher onto which authors will project whatever story they want to tell um mm -hmm. but the as the story goes this is a person who was deprived of their identity and only known as being the prisoner in the mask um, for the remainder of their life while they were in prison. So uh, the song also talks about it being a game of blood, um, talking about he the the human needs being a game of blood. <laughs> and so, yeah, like we have that parallel to what is happening in the episode of Toga wants to keep Anthe captive. Yeah. And there is no way to stop that from happening except fighting him. Mm hmm There is no nonviolent solution to this problem anymore. No. So we come back to the duel itself. Utena goes to strike with the power of Dios. And Toga surrenders. He stands open 
like a, a completely squared off open stance. Uh, the same way that he did a few episodes back when he first presented himself to her as her prince. Mm-hmm. And she drops her guard. She doesn't yeah. go for the final strike. Nope. She completely falters because all her head can think about is my prince. And so she just doesn't follow through. And of course, he cuts her rose after all. Yeah. Just like an effortless sweep of his katana and her her rose is gone. Yep. And we see the sword melt away in her hand the same way that the like as a way of showing like the power is leaving her it is no longer Mm -hmm. hers to command and then it's um one of the most heartbreaking scenes that you'll see in this show so far of utena just going wait don't 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 take him and Mia away, please. She just wants to be a normal girl. She needs me. If I leave her, she'll be all alone again. Which again, to me, is Utena projecting. She sees that little, that same little girl that she was in him and Mia, in Anthe. Yeah. And it's like, if you take this away from her, she'll be all alone again. Talking about herself and about Anthe. Exactly. Yeah, she is talking just as much about herself here. And what I noted is that she sounds just like Sionji did in the first Yeah, I thought the same thing. I thought the same thing. How weird that the tables turned that way. That like in this moment of complete unguarded vulnerability in which... She is beyond the point of self-awareness. It, she is just moving on desperation. And she sounds just like Sionji. She has lost and is begging to not have the consequences of that loss. Yeah. And, and of course, like we know that the answer to this is you have to win her back. Like there is no prize for second place here Mm -mm. and toga twists the knife and he's like you should be glad you don't have to deal with these duels anymore isn't this what you want yeah yeah and on top of that uh he's like go ahead anthe tell tell her you want to be the rose bride and anthe just responds yeah I want to be the rose bride with that same dead look in her eye that same detached look and Toga's like when you this is when he explicitly says when you told her to say that you that she doesn't want to be the rose bride that was merely your own wish and now that you've lost you have no connection to her whatsoever and is just driving that knife in deeper and deeper yeah and i like i want to go back to that dead-eyed stare again because that moment like it almost seems like a fugue state that she slips into yeah it is where 
she is so detached. Um, like she's so detached from herself in that moment. She's completely dissociating and just says what she needs to say, which I think gives us some evidence that some of the stuff that happened with Utena is in fact genuine. Like she will be compliant. She will say what she needs to say. She will follow the directives of whoever she's with. But there were just enough of those little moments over the course of this season so far where it wasn't commanded by Utena. We just see uh, it, we just see an upwelling of emotion from, from Anthe and they will be subtle things. But they will be things that are genuine to her in a way that this definitely is not. Like, well, and even... whether or not like she actually likes being the Rose Bride is immaterial compared to the state that she is in right now, where she is saying whatever she is directed to say. Well, and even the small example of Anthe cooking all throughout this show so far, and specifically cooking for Utena. And how Toga made fun of her for that in the greenhouse, which now is the birdcage to me eternally. Um, when he made fun of her for that and seeing like Utena didn't tell her to like, she didn't ask Anthea to cook for her. I think she made a few comments about it. Like, Hey, you don't have to do this. And it, it she just wanted to, like, it seems like cooking is something that, Anthea is genuinely interested in as a hobby. Yeah. And I mean, that small moment of like Toga shitting on her for it. And we've seen her like express joy and try her hardest and her best at something that she likes this whole series so far. And she, and nobody's personalities got switched this time. Yeah, true. <laughs> <laughs> they ate the yakisoba and the takoyaki and they were fine. <laughs> <laughs> so she's made progress. And it's not shaved ice. True. <laughs> but yeah, it's a small thing that's like a, a, it's still a part of herself. Like it's something that she can hold on to. Well, she's not going to be able to with Toga, but... It was a small thing that she could hold on to, a small thing that she could do for herself and for others, but still enjoy for herself. And now that's going to be gone. Yeah. So what are your predictions for next time? We saw some really interesting images in this preview. Man, when I saw Utena dressed in the traditional girl's uniform, I was like, wow. She's really like, this is the mental spiral. <laughs> yeah. Like she hasn't lost it, but she's definitely spiraling. And I mean, I think there was like a brief shot of like Utena and Wakaba talking. <laughs> and I know Wakaba's probably like, yo, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> um, Look, I call you my boyfriend. But yeah, she's This is not serving boyfriend right now. <laughs> <laughs> 
but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I mean, Utena hasn't lost really anything in her life before this. Hold up. And she lost two parents. (laughs) But I mean, as far as like competition stuff goes, parents are not a competition. (laughs) Well, (laughs) I mean, (laughs) well, I feel like hopefully they're not. I feel like the Kiryu family uh, might be that way. (laughs) Some families may be that way, but hopefully they're not. Um, (laughs) But uh, she's she's never lost a competition before she's sure at least not that we've seen no and or had something shake her to her core like her parents death did and this is something that's shaken her to her core because toga was driving home the whole point of you you have no connection to her everything that you were giving anthe was just your own wish it wasn't actually her and so she's just shaken up completely to her core. And she's like, well, who am I? And just, just <laughs> like anyone would do. It's like, well, I guess I'm changing up my dress now. You know, like this is the equivalent uh, of like her cutting her hair or dying in a different color. Yeah, in like, my opinion. This is a breakup haircut, you know? <laughs> yes. So I feel like this also shows how much the duels are psychological rather than physical. Because she won her first duel with a broken wooden boken or a bamboo boken. And it was broken when she fought. And it was entirely in her attitude that brought the power of Dios to her side. And then when that confidence is shattered, she loses, even with the power of Dios still on her side. Yeah. Speaking of the power of Dios, did you happen to catch what sword Utena was actually using in the preview? No, I didn't see it. So it's in the preview. Um, It is a sword that we have seen before. Uh, Specifically, it is one of the student council members whose sword that we have definitely seen before. Um, somebody okay. somebody does her a solid. I will say. Okay, that. okay. So who do you, who would you guess that it is without looking back at the episode? It uh, if I have to guess, it's probably Mickey, but I want it to be Jury, but it's probably not going to be Jury. <laughs> it could be, but her and Mickey seem to have a better like friendship level. So if I had to guess, it's probably Mickey, but I want it to be Jury so bad. Okay. Yeah, I mean, we'll see next time, right? Yeah. Oh my god, I'm so excited. So we have been getting some listener mail. Um, Just because of where it's falling in the season right now, I think that the plan is going to be that we do this as a a part of the, the recap episode that's coming up. Just so that we have more to fill out a full episode. But in the future, we're going to plan to um, read the the messages that come in around the time when we're recording when they come in. So if you want to send anything to us, you can reach us at absolute destiny, a podcast at gmail.com. We are also on Twitter at Zetai Unme pod. I am also personally on Twitter at life in neon. 
And I'm also on Twitter at at carcutie, which is K-A-R-Q-U-E-U-E-T-I-E. And you can also catch uh, Chesney's Twitch streaming under the same name. Uh, write in. We would love to hear from you. If you listen to us on Apple, please like leave a rating, leave a comment. We will read those as well. Uh, tell your friends, tell your friends, friends, tell your enemies. Um, the more, <laughs> yeah, we, we would love to hear from you guys. So write in with your thoughts. Um, those of you who've written in so far, I am blown away by some of the analysis that you have shared with us. Um, I'm looking forward to reading some of that and breaking it down on the show. Um, so the more that we get, the better it'll go. Yeah. <laughs>